Good morning. How's it going? I'm good. How are you guys? We're great. Yeah. Welcome everyone uh, to the Practice with Clara Morning Gathering. We have a special guest joining us today, uh, Alejandro from the Practice with Clara team. Ah. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so maybe um, Alejandro, give us a little bit of background as to what your role is uh, in Practice with Clara. Great, great. Uh, so first of all, I'm the husband. And, and so, you know, we, we are we are the coronavirus team uh, here in Kitsilano. Um And uh, I, I had a marketing business for about uh, seven years. And then, uh, you know, after that, I, I've been part of some startups and, and other teams. And uh, when chatting with Clara about putting uh, her videos out, I had a lot of experience about building technology and selling stuff like that. So... I guess I'm in the back end, kind of putting apps together, uh, and kind of setting up systems of automating, you know, content distribution and things like that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's I'm kind of in the back. We, I always like to describe it like um, Guapo, also known as Alejandro, uh, does the runs the business, and I run the creative or the content. And so together we create uh, practice with Clara. And so we thought we'd have him on the um, on the discussion today because one of our first questions was about retreats, which Steph will get into. And since Guapo has so much experience in marketing, I thought it was just only natural to have him come join us and kind of share his insight with us. And so yeah. Steph, do you mind sharing the uh, the question with us? Yeah, the whole. Let me let me pull it up. <laughs> So someone posted on uh, our Facebook uh, Practice with Clara community page last week about retreats, and we didn't have an opportunity to get into it last week, so we thought we'd get into it this week. Yeah. Just one sec. Mm. Okay. Thank you for being patient. Okay, so opening with uh, planning and the world of yoga retreats. So how you plan your retreat detail by detail versus uh, going with it, it through in terms of profit, how to budget for your retreat, how to choose a location, how to get people to sign up for your retreat, and planning a local retreat versus an international retreat. And uh, Clara has been hosting retreats locally and internationally for what, Clara, like 10 years, maybe more? Yeah, I'd say about, I'd say about 12 years. Okay. I'd say about 12 years. But I thought we would start with the marketing part of it because I find, uh, again, when we were, when I was talking about it with um, Alejandro, he had so much amazing insight, but I thought we could get into that part first. And so, um, yeah, tell us, tell us your insight. It's so good. I was like, oh, I wish I had met you 12 years ago. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been interesting to dive so deep into the yoga world because you see a lot of people selling or, or, or offering retreats and offering the features. So the feature of a retreat is, you know, beach, uh, yoga twice a day, yeah. um, you know, good food. Those are the features. But what's really important is not only to talk about the features, but to talk about the benefits. 
So relative to who you're speaking to, talk about, you know, words like rejuvenation, you know, or run away from winter, uh, or, you know, what are the benefits of going on this retreat, community, etc. And another point that, like, uh, I feel is super important is about framing and framing the value of what your offer is. And so, for example, right now, you know, we have been framed to understand that it's okay to spend $5 on a cup of coffee, but if we're downloading an app on our phone, then that app should be free. Got it. Because our framing is that apps are free and a cup of coffee costs $5. So your retreat, the value of that retreat is, you know, uh, a way to frame could be based on price. So, you know, if this is a $2,000 retreat that is, is going to cost $1,500, and another way is to talk about uh, that your private lessons are, you know, uh, $1,000 at a time. And here with this, you know, online offering, um, it's only going to be, you know, $100, etc. Like there's different ways to frame the value, but to perceive value is also relative to how you're, uh, to your offering. So the features of, of the product or of your service uh, the benefits of those features, and then framing it in a way that people understand what a high value that is, you know? So you're speaking, like, just kind of unpacking the framing a little bit in terms of, say, uh, you're going to get two classes a day. You're going to get, so all the different features, you would package it in a way that shares the benefit, like come in you're going to get like a morning vinyasa to discover more about building heat, sequencing with Clara. You're going to close your day with a restorative practice to ground and reflect. And then framing it in terms of like, this is the price. So essentially you're getting like two classes a day with Clara. And usually they're like 90 minutes, which is rare for the yoga world. Usually classes are a lot shorter now. So packaging it in such a way that people are seeing like, I get all this time with Clara. We're immersed in this beautiful location that's either secluded or warm compared to where we are right now. Uh, yummy food, like giving people kind of a breakdown in what what they're getting for the price. Because some some retreats are expensive, so kind of showing them like this is the value you're getting plus you know like an additional yoga class a day or whatever have you. Is that what you mean by framing? Um. I mean, yeah, those are the benefits, but framing is, for example, you know, like what would be a million dollar retreat? So in a million dollar retreat, you know, you would send a private plane to pick up someone, you rent out a whole retreat center for one person, you know, like, etc. Like, you know, you have seven people there that would massage that person at a time, you know, like this million dollar value of a retreat with this yoga. And so framing a, a, a retreat where you're going to have, let's say, 15 or 20 people in, where you're going to be charging $5,000 per person, then you can talk about the fact that this million-dollar retreat, the type of yoga, the type of practices, the type of healing, um, you know, things that we're going to be doing in this million-dollar retreat, you're going to get them in this $5,000 retreat. Got Does you. that make sense? So then, like, you're framing the, the, the value in such a degree but like you're only going to charge this amount. Got you. So like, yeah, so you're making it a, more accessible. It's like 
you're making yes. it accessible and you're bringing in instead of one person for all of these things, you're saying you're going to be part of a community. You're going to meet like-minded people. You might make new friends from all over the world, which is something I've experienced, which is pretty cool. You get friends in different spots you can go visit if you are going back to New York or wherever it is you've been. Um, I have another question for you yeah. in terms of marketing in language, because I feel you in, the, in, in pitching like the feature and the benefit of said feature. Yeah. Something that I've observed um, is retreats that promise things that you actually can't promise people. Like you're gonna leave feeling like empowered to, you know, do X with your business, or you're gonna leave and feel and reading it, I'm like, you actually can't promise those things. Like supercharge your, it's just, it's a way of framing the language, I think that needs to be a little bit more delicate. So you're not promising people something that they may or may not feel. Like if you say like, you know, I can promise you that there's opportunities to go snorkeling or skiing or whatever. I can promise you good food. I can promise you these tangible things that I know I can deliver. You don't know that you can deliver somebody like this, you know, new essence of coming home and, you know, gaining their confidence or feeling. Do you, do you know what I mean? Just using language where you can honor the promise you're making. Cause some of the posters I see, I'm like, you actually can't, I don't know if you can promise that someone's going to feel all these different things upon, maybe they don't feel that. Maybe they have a terrible time. And I've been on retreats where people have a terrible time and then want their money back because the promise is not kept from what has been said in the marketing where you want to add value and show the benefit and really give people an incentive to sign up. It's really difficult to talk about a promise because mm -hmm. you don't know who people are, where they're sitting, where they're coming from. I think you can probably talk a lot more in regards to what you just asked. Um, but I think that like you are working towards something, right? And if you are working towards, you know, relieving stress, relieving anxiety, um, or if you're going, let's say on a quiet retreat where the goal is to go inside and to be introspective so that you can come out ready to take on, you know, challenges and things like that. I think it is valuable to talk about what the goals are of the retreat, but definitely to use the right wording as you just described, where it doesn't guarantee that you're going to walk away feeling a certain way, but that you're definitely going to work on improving this type of, you know, value. I what like you that you said that the goal of the retreat is X instead yeah. of I promise you're going to leave feeling yeah. X. Yeah. There's a very big difference in that framing. I so, agree good pitch is this is the goal. This is what I hope you leave with versus you'll leave with, right? It's a very little, it's a little change, but it, I mean, when you have somebody that doesn't feel satisfied that yeah. you haven't honored your promise, I mean, Claire, you can maybe speak to that where people haven't felt, you know, satisfied with what you've offered and haven't, I don't know. Can you speak to that? I think that, uh, well, I I generally don't promise anything on retreats. That's what I got. Great. I usually, I usually just give, like, specifically when I'm working in marketing um, around this, is like, this is the price, this is what's included in the price, and then these are optional things that you can add on. And so hmm. in that way, people, I'm really big on people kind of choosing their own adventure. That's a big part of the way that I've led retreats. Um, that is a bit different than, let's say, other people's retreats. 
And so, because some people go on retreat in order to retreat and not do very much. And then there's other people who go on retreat and this is the time where they want to do everything, you know? So I, like, I generally welcome all of, all of those. I welcome kind of like the spectrum of people because there's definitely like, I remember, um, I led a retreat in Bali, I think probably about 12 years ago. And um, I, I, I leave the day open always. And I'm like, there's usually activities that the retreat center has to offer. And I'm like, these are activities that are optional that you can do and not do. And half the retreat, like spent, half the, the, the students spent time at the pool every single day. And I think I was one of them. And we like left the retreat center like seventh day and we're like, okay, let's go out into the world. Meanwhile, we had like a group of four people who came um, from San Francisco and they saw all of Bali in eight days like they were on it which is beautiful so they were like every day after in a, in a, a taxi or a tuk-tuk and like discovering all of it so to me I think one thing at, at least that I find that works for my own uh, retreats is the option and that to remind everybody that everything is optional and so because retreat looks so different for everybody in terms of like what you know some people are like this is the time to like do the nine million things and other people are like this is the time for me to sleep and mm -hmm. do yoga so it's always important at least uh, yeah the way that I frame retreats is to have kind of like the gamut of things. And so I generally don't, I usually plan one thing during the day, one day of the week, especially if it's only a seven day mm -hmm. retreat. Um, and that is something that we do as a group. But besides that, I'm like, do you, because yeah. we're, we're, it's so individual. Yeah. And so, and I found that by doing it that way, you're able to kind of please everybody. Yeah. And you're managing people's expectations and the fact that you're, that I'm like, there's yoga in the morning, there's yoga in the afternoon. And like what I've added in the last couple of years is either a discussion or a workshop that happens right before the afternoon, um, yeah. the afternoon class that we either go into philosophy or I break down yoga poses and we go into like a workshop. So people um, have the opportunity to kind of learn a little bit more. And then we usually like have a movie night or something like that, but I keep it very, very open because I want people to really listen to their own bodies and what it is that they need. Now, that being said, I've, you know, friends who lead retreats that are like cycling in yoga or, you know, like surfing in yoga and like, you know, having this other component to it. Uh, and they do very well with that. So I just, I think it depends on who your, who your demographic is and then what it is that you want to provide for people. Do you find that people now want to be um, I don't know what the right way of saying it is, but like because the phone, you know, entertains us all the time. We're used to being entertained that like when they're on retreat that they want to be told, OK, here's what you're going to do next. Here's what you want to do next. Here's what you want to do next. Or in how is it evolving? It's a great question. I think that it depends, again, like it comes back to what Steph was talking about in terms of what are you promising people or what are you offering people? Like, I don't offer that. And I'm very clear, like I send, like in terms of uh, like the PDF of information that I send on my retreats, I'm like, this is how the day is formatted. We have yoga for two hours in the morning. We have yoga for two hours in the afternoon. There's an optional um, 
discussion slash workshop. And then the rest of the day is yours. And then here are some options that the, all retreat centers offer daily activities like horseback riding, you know, surfing, snorkeling, depending upon where you are in the world. And, I, and, and we usually kind of give them a packet to be like, these are the things that are happening. This is how much it will cost extra. So again, we're managing the biggest thing you want to do with retreats so that people ideally walk away very happy yeah. is you want to manage their expectations. So you want to yeah. be like, here is what this cost is in terms of the baseline of the cost. This is what is included in it. And then the next part of it is these are some add-ons. Like there's always a spa, right? Massage. So if you <laughs> want to do that, you know, that's included. And I know some retreats and retreats, like some of my friends include a massage in their pricing mm -hmm. and then people can do that. But I've, I haven't done that because I, again, people are so funny. Some people don't like being massaged and things like that. So then you're like, oh, you know, so I just, again, it's just, the idea is to kind of give people as much space as possible. But the biggest thing is you got to be super clear about what it is that you're offering or else people will be disappointed, which is totally understandable. So it's like, yeah, so that would be, that would be the biggest thing I would say around that. So I think my other question that uh, both of you can answer. So communication is key, identifying what is being offered and, you know, price, et cetera. So all the kind of like bare bones of what's going on at the retreat space, et cetera. But then let's talk about um, bringing people into your retreat. So timeline, like when are you starting your marketing for a retreat? Is it a month? Is it three months? Is it two weeks? Great question. This also, if you can both speak to the difference, if there's any, I don't know if there is, uh, local versus international retreats, the difference in planning something a little bit bigger if you're going to Bali or India versus like Galliano or Bowen, which for Vancouver, it's like a ferry ride away. Like it's not even half a day of travel. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're the first hand experience. Uh, I have a, I, I'm into framework, so I would, but anyway. Go ahead. Okay, so I'll start. Um, so in terms of uh, and it kind of goes to the first part of the question of like choosing a location, choosing whether or not it's international or local. The biggest, the biggest, the, the way that I choose retreats is where do I want to go? And so 12 years ago, the first, the first international retreat I ever led was going to Bali and I had never been to Bali, but I really wanted to go. And so one of the gifts of being a yoga teacher is that we can work on the road. So I was like, I'm going to lead a retreat in Bali. And so how I found the location was I emailed a friend of mine who had just spent a month and a half in Bali. And I said, you know, where did you go? What did you love? Like, tell me retreat centers. And he gave me the name of two. And I literally went online, checked it out and had a really good feeling about one of them, emailed them. And then, and then we were off. So the big thing with international retreats is you generally book a year in advance. Mm. And you generally have to put money down a year in advance. So one thing that you need to know as a, as a yoga teacher slash, you know, uh, retreat uh, extraordinaire person planner is that you're going to have to put uh, quite a bit of money up front. So that's something to think about in terms of uh, uh, moving forward and budgeting for that. And then also hoping that it works. So uh, yeah, I booked, I booked Bali you know, and then a, a year later is when we were going and I had to put down all this money and like cross my fingers. And essentially with international retreats, you want to start marketing at least eight months to 10 months out mm -hmm. because people need to plan because they're going to have to buy a plane ticket. They have to get 
time off work, right? And then they need to uh, to pay for it. So most people, at least in, in my demographic, need a bit more time. They don't have that much disposable income. So you need to give them as much time in advance. And so you want to be putting it out there and kind of planting the seed and, and getting people ready to, to organize for that. Now, that being said, I'll tell you the first couple retreats, I paid out of pocket. So my first retreat in Bali, I had six people. I paid to be there. Okay. So one thing that I highly like, know that moving forward is like it takes a while like it does with all businesses to build it so you're you're gonna pay out of pocket for a while and then you're and you're gonna learn from it and then those people are gonna tell your other people so um that first year i had six people the second year i had 14 people right so i doubled it and i did it the same time of year so that's another thing that i highly recommend is do it around the same time of year because then people know like this is an annual trip and then you know, I had four people from the first trip come to, with me on the second trip. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, you're, you're starting to build their clientele. And then again, they're telling their friends, we're telling their friends, we're telling their friends. But it does definitely start off by like, you're paying out of pocket. And the way that I thought about it is like, I'm somewhere beautiful doing something that I love. And so here we are together, you know? So definitely pick a location that you're passionate about that you would want to go see anyway right? Because you were probably going to the first couple times pay out of pocket, depending upon like, I didn't, I didn't pay for marketing or anything. Like I put posters up at the yoga studio and I posted it on Facebook. We didn't even have Instagram really at that point in time. Right? Those are the two places I did it. And, um, and word of mouth, right? Asking friends to kind of post at their yoga studios and put up posters. That's, that's how it was done. And so you pick the location based on where you want to go. You know, you're going to have to put money up front. So that's something to think about. And then also be willing to pay out of pocket or know that you're going to need a minimum. So if you're going to need a minimum, that would be something that if you feel like you can't pay out of pocket, that you would let your students know up front. So this is, um, I'm leading this retreat, just letting you know, we need a minimum of six people. This is how many people I have right now mm -hmm. and kind of keep people posted. So again, we're managing expectations mm -hmm. yeah. because the biggest thing you want to have for people is to uh, to trust you. And so in order to have trust, you need to have transparency. Mm -hmm. yeah. But generally, like I've, I think I've only ever canceled one retreat ever. Like I generally, like I'll just go, you're like, we're going, right? Because the people who committed to, you know, taking the time off work and paying, you're like, this is it. We're all going to go. And, you know, I was like, it's just money. That's what I say to myself. <laughs> I'm like, it's just money. And I'd rather be on an experience. And I'll tell you that the six people, when we went together, had an amazing time. We became a little family because we were literally just six of us, you know? We did everything together. It was awesome. Like, every, people would attest from that retreat. We had such a good time. So it's like, I wouldn't take it back to the world. Essentially, I just went on vacation with six people I didn't know that well, and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah? You want to speak to any of that, my love? Um, I, I think that it depends on personality types, but if I was in that position, I would definitely plan out my year by week. So you know, every week starting, let's say, on a Sunday and, and planning my messaging on every week. So let's say if today we're in uh, April 1st and then we're the retreat is going to happen in November 1st, then I know that by, let's say, October 1st, I need to be locked in with my group. So that means that, like, by September, I need everybody to, you know, have, have give me a deposit. I need to know that, that this, that this, that this. So I will plan out my messaging all the way back and start to talk about it today 
motivate those that are interested to come through, you know, through the summer and then just plan my messaging throughout. And I will do that for every type of event that you're hosting. So if you're hosting teacher training, if you're hosting retreats, um, local events, uh, all of those things, I will put them all in a calendar by week. And then obviously you always want to be giving value to your community, but it, don't leave it to the last second. Like, oh man, you know, like, I haven't talked about my retreat that's coming up in two months. Yeah. And now I need to, you know, in order to break even, I need to get another 12 people or 15 people, yeah. you know, like, like be organized yeah. and then know at the same time you're caught off that, you know, if something like what just happened right now in society happens, you know, like, oh, here is a cutoff where like, if I need to cancel, I need to cancel right here. Yeah. And then transparency with Claire and voice at all moments, like, here's what's going on. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, just, you know, keeps, keeps the party moving and, and keeps you well organized and ahead. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, there was, I feel like one more question on that one. This is such a, a long, long one that she asked that. Uh... So it was around um, right. location, how you're getting people and uh, adding to it, like in getting people, Clara, having done this for over a decade and with the shift in social media and also with the shift in this market being so saturated like yeah. everyone is hosting retreats i think this past february there were like six teachers from vancouver promoting retreats to mexico and it doesn't really affect you if you have a strong community people are going to go if they want to go with you but maybe if you can each speak to um how you're promoting and connecting with people and incentivizing them. Like Alejandro, you said the value, like what are the incentives and how do you do it in a way? Cause this taps into the other question that it doesn't become all about money, that it is about the yoga and the community and the experience you're providing while also honoring like, okay, I do have numbers I need to make. I do have to pay like a, you know, several thousand dollars deposit on this retreat. So I guess, kind of whittling all of that down. Clara, how is it different today than it was a decade ago? And how are you getting people into your retreat when everyone is promoting this stuff right now? My feeling about it is be ahead of the curve. And so in that breath, like, I don't think, um, I've been leading retreats both in Mexico and locally um, with uh, Carolyn, and we've decided that we're actually going to pull back for a little while because there's there's too much out there. Mm. And so in that way, you always you yeah you ask the question whether or not is this serving you know if everybody's doing it how can I either do it differently or how can I shift it? Mm. And so that would be something that I would think about. Uh, and then where is your passion? So if you're, what tends to happen, I find with uh, a lot of newer teachers that I mentor is that they feel like they should be leading retreats and they should be leading trainings and they should be leading workshops because that's what everybody's doing, Yeah. right? And so the one thing that I'll say is like, what is your passion? Does it excite you? Because I'm a member of Steph and I'd love you to speak to this um, right now is like, at, you know, like I would say like eight to 10 months ago, you were like, you know, I think I'm going to do a retreat. And then you, you went on a couple of retreats and you're like, actually, maybe this isn't my passion. This isn't where I want to put my energy. So that's also another, another thing to think about is like, where, where, what am I excited about? And so you want to be offering things that you're like, 
yes. Like this is something that stokes my fire. So regardless of whether or not there's one person at this thing or whether or not there's 50 people at this thing, I am so excited to be offering this. So along the lines of retreats, I love retreats. Like it's one of my favorite things to do because it's this opportunity to be with people out of the context of the everyday. And then we, I, I, my experience of it being on retreat as well as leading retreats is there's an intimacy that you build with that community of people that you may not have chosen. You would maybe not have chosen to be with them, but because you all chose to be there, you created this community where generally a lot of uh, sharing happens because you're like, I don't know if I'll ever see this person again. So, you know, why, why not, not? Share, why not just share what's happening? And so in that way, we, we kind of, we, we have this opportunity to go deeper within ourselves and deeper with, with the help of this group of people that we don't necessarily know so well uh, in order to transcend, to shift, to transform. You know, so many people come back from retreat so shifted because they had this opportunity to reflect on what's happening before. So I love retreats. But now that being said, because there's so many of them happening right now, I feel like I'm going to step back and kind of offer I'm gonna, I'm, I've been kind of regrouping in terms of how can I offer that intimate space that doesn't necessarily involve going on retreat so that I can continue feeding my community and myself this way, but, but also not compete with like the 18 other yoga teachers that are offering something very similar in a very similar location. So, you know, you want to definitely be observing like what's happening in the market. How can I be offering um, something different or how can we build together? So that was the other way that I would highly recommend it is like, uh, that's why co-teaching with another teacher, especially somebody who has a different community or lives in a different community than you, like in a different city. I've led retreats with friends of mine from New York. There were five of us one time who led a retreat with 50 people, which was a little too intense. I decided that was not for me, but it was very interesting because we had 50 people from like five different communities come together and build this retreat. And so that would be one way to, to do it and or cross marketing with other people who are mm -hmm. leading retreats at the same time. So that again, we're really helping to support each other as a community versus like being like, don't go to that retreat, come to my retreat. Yeah. And instead be like, here are two offerings that are amazing. And, you know, and, and then cross pollinating hopefully from that. Yeah. Yeah. Alejandro, do you have anything to add like marketing wise in incentivizing or setting yourself apart? You know, like um, we, we started building apps, for example, uh, six months ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so in other life today, right? Because we felt that um, you, the man, for yoga teachings was shifting, you know, or there was maybe too many people over there. So what's going on over here, you know? Yeah. So in regards to retreat, what's next? Yeah. So if you're going to be running a retreat six months from today or a year from now, well, what does our current, you know, environment tell us? Local, uh, you know, yeah. maybe that, uh, you, you know, connecting with our community. So that's what I will be thinking about. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I think that right now maybe wouldn't be the time to be selling a retreat because we're all in this unknown yeah. space. So then what else can I be bringing as a value to my community that uh, will potentially be, you know, uh, of service. And so think ahead about what's coming up uh, regarding like, as far as a retreat, I think that what Clara just said is, I think from any retreat that I've been in, the people that I vibe with, because you just did yoga, you know, and you get a deep question at the end of the class, and you all share about like some some real talk 
that 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 is just so unique and 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 that vulnerability creates a depth of connection yeah. that you just uh, you can't create that even the, with the friends that I have closed I don't think I've ever shared the depth of connection that I've shared with all people at retreats uh so I think that um if people were voicing more about that information like that connection the fact that you're going to go that deep I think there's a lot of people that are interested in some real talk and real connections mm. so I I would go in there That's good feedback. That's that's good feedback. And I think the other thing to take away as a teacher listening to this is you just have to go for it. Trial and error. You're just kind of, you know, if this is what you're passionate about, this is the space you want to create, communicate to your people what they're going to get, incentive around community building, opening up, etc. and also just knowing it, everyone's going to be different, like who you're connecting with, what you're planning, everything is different year to year day to day it doesn't matter what industry you're in and to just go for it Claire is kind of what I'm getting from you is just I tried this I didn't like it this is what we're doing next time so ad adaptability too yes. and the and, and another part of that is transparency just mm. I feel like it's really important to be transparent be transparent with the community that you are bringing on and to uh to keep the conversation the dialogue going as you're moving yeah. through it and to be really open to feedback like one thing I highly recommend is having feedback forms at the end of your retreat mm. to have people and ideally with, where they don't have to write their name so that they can give you you can yeah. get the 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 um first hand you know like how did it go for you what did i do well what what could i have worked on and so being really open to feedback being really open to shifting things and then the other part of that is like you got to have a good customer service face because there's always going to be someone who's going to be upset about something like that's just inevitable especially the larger group you have and so being really open to um communicating and taking in feedback and and not being defensive around it and being like how can i help this person be where they uh given what they give them what what can i give them right now in this moment in order to make enhance their experience so i'll just say yeah that's like one thing that happens on retreats that a lot of people i don't necessarily think about is that people get upset like uh, it, again and i've found that that happens if you don't manage their expectations beforehand and they show up and all of a sudden the room is not what it looked like or the food is not what they wanted or you know that kind of thing and so you really want to be navigating that um with a with a lot of patience so the other part of it in terms of leading retreats is that this is customer service your it's hospitality right so you also need to know that going in is like you yeah i like highlight like i feel like i'm so grateful to have waited tables for 8 years because it's really helped me in situations when people are freaking out on me and sometimes they're freaking out on you for a totally different reason but they're using whatever you know the food or whatever it is and it's an excuse to kind of let some steam out and so being able to see that and breathe through that and and not be triggered by that is really really important and i feel like again we don't we don't talk about it enough uh in terms of that and so that's the other aspect of leading retreats is like you're a host you're essentially inviting people into your new home and so you want to make sure that they're having the best experience that that they can and so that's always the goal and so yeah that uh, uh, what i think is um watching from you know behind the scenes uh, retreats kind of take place if i were starting as a as a teacher i instead of trying to put together a retreat i would reach out to someone that's running a retreat and say i'm going to help you no charge yeah. and i am going to be there for you throughout this whole process because that seven day retreat 
takes 365 years to put together. Yeah. And in that process, you have to handle payments, you have to handle uh, customer service, you have to handle, or I can't make it, you have to handle a whole sure. lot of things that takes a really long time. The operations process in Soclera, because she's been doing it for 10 years, she's got systems, you know, like she's got a sign up form and she's got this yeah. other thing, you know, like she's able to mitigate a lot of these. But if you're just starting, you don't know those. So if you can go in and help somebody, you're skipping ahead maybe two years of trial and error to get to a place where you're providing a great experience for somebody. And that being said, I assisted three retreats before I ever led retreats. So I assisted my teachers both locally when we were in New York, we used to do them in Montauk. So I did the sign up, I would deal with uh, feedback forms. I was like, I was the go-to person on the retreat. So essentially the teachers didn't have to deal with the people. They would have me, the assistant doing it. I've also like assisted my teachers in Costa Rica. So I went with them there and I did not get paid anything. And I, this was the reason why is like, I wanted to learn how to do it. Yeah. And so thank you for bringing that up. I totally forgot that I'd actually done that, but that is a great way to learn is just go assist people that you feel like are doing a good job and you're like, and that's how you learn. So. I learned, you know, like how to have a welcome letter and gifts and like, you know, da, da, da. and because I was the go-to person in terms of complaints and things like that, I really learned a lot yeah. on that end because I was the customer service person. But yeah, so uh, like Guapo was saying, go assist people. The other thing that I'd also highly recommend is if admin is not your go-to, hire somebody. I have a, quite a few friends who have hired people who do the back end, who do all the signups, who deal with payment. And so they pay them a percentage of what the retreat receives, and then they just go and teach. Yeah. So that's another part of it. We talked mm -hmm. about this last week in terms of the business of yoga. If that's not something you're passionate about, if that's not something that you're good at, then hire somebody or do an exchange with them. And they do, they do the admin stuff and you just do the yoga. So know that there's many ways of doing it. And finding your strength and how it works would be like so important. But yeah, I would definitely assist. Assist your teachers anyway. Assist your teachers, you know, like in, if you want to learn anything, that's a great way to do it is assist your teachers in regular classes or go on retreat with them because you'll learn a ton. And one thing just to wrap this up that I would say for my learning process, I didn't even go assist. I just went on a lot of different retreats, mm. which taught me so much watching how other people were holding space and creating space in their communication. And it's actually why I decided that I don't want to host retreats, just being present for so many different people and personalities and, you know, points of points that were beautiful, but also points of conflict, because you don't know what's going to come up. And I went on a few, Claire, with you that were pretty unruffled, but I'd say over the last two years, I've gone on a few that you just circumstances I would have never anticipated that expressed themselves. And each time I was like, yo, I am glad I am a participant and I am not hosting. I do not have to deal with this. And, and so what are three like, things that, what are three things that you'd say that you learned by going on, going on retreat? Um, boundaries, you have to have really strong boundaries as the host, um, a lot of uh, confidence in what you're saying and how you're communicating. And I think transparency and boundary setting are two of the biggest things where as the participant, there were periods where the communication was not clear in one that I took, um, witnessing just students kind of throwing and projecting their emotions and what they're going through. And if you don't have strong enough boundaries to handle some of that stuff, uh, 
you're not equipped. And frankly, I don't, I'm a pretty strong, confident person, but I don't know that I would have that strong of boundaries. Maybe if I had a friend hosting with me that could kind of power up the situation, which is what I love about you saying work with somebody else. Um, and then the third thing is know the area that you're in. Cause I've also been on retreats where the, the host didn't know anything about where we were, where to like, where to get transportation or eat. And it, you're just, they're flying as blind as you, which I was like, you know, we've paid quite a bit to be here. You should have a little bit more, even if you like, you went to Bali, you hadn't gone to that location in Bali, but you did your research beforehand. Yeah, and I spent a week before, like I, when I go somewhere there new, you go. I show up a week late earlier and I get to know the area. Yeah. And then that way um, you have a sense of what's going on. And then yeah. also, you know, like, Ideally, you have a point person there that's kind of giving you a sense of what's happening. So if you don't have the luxury to be able to go a week early, then you definitely want to have like one or two point people who live there that you're like, okay, these are the two people that I would uh, like, I would go and ask them everything, you know, and for yeah. sure, usually the retreat center is also really good for that. But if you do have the opportunity to go early, go early and get to know like, where am I? What's happening? Yeah. Just because yeah. you, like you said, you're the host, like I, you wouldn't host a party and not know like where to get glasses and pour someone a drink, right? Like, where to put their jackets. Like it would be very bizarre to go to something like that. But I think like this ties into our next question just to keep things moving in. Um, so hosting, whether it's a class or a treat or a workshop, having that self-assurance, the confidence boundaries, but also dealing with imposter syndrome. So coming into, uh, new situations the question that was pitched was specifically around now doing online classes and feeling a sense of imposter syndrome so how to how to move through this kind of phase where you're you're questioning yourself as a teacher in whatever space that you're creating for your community how do you, how do you deal with that so imposter syndrome is something that happens to every teacher all the time mm -hmm. It is something that happens generally when you first start teaching. It's something that occurs. It kind of moves it. I feel like imposter syndrome is something that we all deal with all the time. And especially when we're diving into something new. And so what the, the, the writer had said is like, you know, they're diving into um, being online and now they're coming up against imposter syndrome. So the thing that I recommend that I do for myself and, and it's the same idea of, the retreats is just go for it and sit in the discomfort of not really knowing transparent about how you're feeling. And then um, from there, be real about where, where you are and how you can become better. I'm just going to bring Steph back online here. Okay. And so uh, when you're feeling the imposter syndrome, it's a really good, it's a really good indicator that you're growing. And so the idea of I'm growing, so there's discomfort when we grow. And so just sit in the discomfort, be with it, and just stay as authentic to yourself as possible. And so that would be two ways to go through it and know that like, yeah, growing pains are always uncomfortable, but generally you reach another level of, uh, of teaching, of, of feeling yourself, of understanding who you are as, as a teacher as well as a practitioner so stay stay humble stay transparent stay real about it right and sit in the discomfort and you'll it'll shift it always does right 
And so, yeah, generally the imposter syndrome is this idea of, am I good enough? Yeah. You know, and like, all we can do is be the best that we can, yep. right? And be authentically who we are. And there are going to be some people who are like, that is amazing. And there are going to be other people who are like, that does not resonate with me at all. <laughs> and that's okay, right? That's why we have a ton of teachers. So you're like, cool, if I don't resonate with you, amazing. But sit with the discomfort. There's something there. There's something to learn about yourself. And then, uh, and then you usually break through. It's part of the path. It is. It's part of the path of growth. So last question, Claire, you kind of just touched on it with the uh, diversity of teachers that there are out there for us to choose from. So something that was mentioned last week, which we didn't get to, is uh, who Clara is going to for her inspiration, her yoga online. She talked about her teachers last week who were in New York. Um, so who, Clara, are you kind of seeking and sitting with in the online spaces that we're all um, witnessing grow and evolve <laughs> day to day? Um, I, I, I've been, I've actually did more online stuff a few years ago than I have recently. Ooh. And uh, who I was practicing with back then was I was studying a lot of philosophy and a lot of meditation. So I was studying with my uh, philosophy teacher, Douglas Brooks, who's based out of upstate New York, and he's got a lot of amazing online courses. And then uh, before that, I was uh, mentoring under a, a meditation teacher, Paul Ortega, who's also a tantric uh, philosophy teacher. Um, and so I did a lot of their online courses. But that being said, like what me practicing in Vancouver, it's nice to kind of like shop around and see what people are up to and see what people are creating. I feel like there's always something that we can learn mm -hmm. from other people. And then that being said, like one of the biggest reasons why we created the online platform that we created is to be able to have a diversity of offerings. Cause one thing I, I feel like I've noticed with a lot of um, online courses is that they're, they're not diverse. They specialize in one thing, which is amazing, mm -hmm. but it's nice to kind of have a, a, a space to have a little bit of everything. So that's why we have like, the mantra and the meditation and like, you know, something that we're working towards is going to have online courses and, and offerings like that, especially uh, in light of what's happening in the world right now. And so, uh, yeah, shop around. Like, it's nice to kind of see what everybody's up to, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and yeah, move from there. Shiva used to, my teacher Shiva used to offer online uh, courses, but she doesn't anymore. So definitely took quite a few of those way back in the day. And I think with all the IG live, it's, I, you know, just been dropping in on kind of like what you guys, what you're doing right now, dropping in and seeing what people are up to. And there's always something to learn. And that's why you provide a full week on practice with Clara to give people seven days to kind of poke around, explore the different types of movement. Cause you do have a good little, like little bit of everything, vinyasa, hatha, restorative, prenatal, as well as the mantra meditation. There's a ton yeah. of different things that you can, uh, depending on how you're feeling day to day. And yeah. you did, you do give the week for free to let people sit with it and experience what your offering is before they commit to anything. Yeah, exactly. Great. There's also like, I think that a lot of, when I hear people that uh, practice with Clarice about the music, you know, that's in the background, that's why the Spotify playlists are yeah. there, the ability to practice offline, like all these things, the beauty of having, like getting, having gotten started with videos is that all these people told us what they wanted. So now we've built that. Yep. So now we've released these apps with all of these value. And then um, now we're going to get a lot of feedback and then yep. we're going to go to the next thing. And then we're going to go to the next thing. And that's life. 
you know, so with retreats and with everything, like we're in a path heading that way. And then we're going to keep providing people what they want. I love it. You know? I think it's like, a great note to end the talk yeah. on. <laughs> go for it. Yeah, yeah. go for it. Go, go for it. it. Stay transparent while you're doing it. And care yeah. about the community. You're not selling on Instagram. You're connecting with people. Yeah. Why do they care that you're there? Yeah. Why do they care to listen to you? Yeah. And if you don't care about what they have to say, there isn't a, a, that connection. Like you yeah. can't build anything on that. So caring for the community is the number one thing that I would share as my one appearance on practice with Clara <laughs> community. I'm famous now. Co-creating spaces. Yeah. Straight up. Okay. So, yeah. So cool. thanks so much, uh, staff and Alejandro for joining thank us you. today. Yeah. That was uh that went a lot longer than we thought, but it, it felt like we just needed to really dive into it. it was such a meaty question. So thank you so much uh, for asking about the retreats. I felt like that was we really got to dive into many different aspects of the business of yoga. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow we'll be back on uh, talking about ether. Steph and I will dive deep into that, yeah. and then on Friday we'll be uh, back to AMA, which is Ask Me Anything, generally yoga related. But again, like I said yesterday, I'm fully open to anything. And you can post all that on our Practice with Clara community page on Facebook, which is link in my bio, or you can just go to uh, Practice with Clara community on Facebook. And so have a beautiful rest of your day. May you stay transparent. May you stay connected. And may you stay authentic. Love it. Thanks, guys. Peace, friends. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Practice with Clara app. That's mine. I've created almost 100 yoga classes for you to do at home or on the go. And they're available to you on your favorite device, including mobile, desktop, and TV. These classes include vinyasa, slow flow, hatha, restorative, yin, mantra, meditation. I also just had a baby, so I created prenatal yoga for all four trimesters. So head over to clararobertsoss.com slash join to learn more. Or search for the Practice with Clara app at your favorite app store. There's a seven-day free trial, so no commitment. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We've got lots of good stuff in store for you. Until next time, namaste.